Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today I'm really excited because we're going to hear a story from an adventurer that gets right to the heart of this podcast. Our guest is Will Lavender, who just completed a coast-to-coast 4,200-mile cycling adventure from the Pacific Ocean in Washington State to the Atlantic in New York. I've been following his two and a half month journey on Instagram and was so excited to connect with him as soon as he got back just two weeks ago. Will lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was a senior finance manager at Wells Fargo Bank. He'd worked hard his whole life and was feeling like it was time for a change. With no plan for the future, Will left his job to embark on this once in a lifetime journey. He gifted this trip to himself after years of working hard for others. And now we get to talk to Will about his dream, his process, his experience, and now that he's returned, how it changed him forever. Will, welcome to the campfire. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm so excited. Let's just dive right in. Um, If you could just share maybe some kind of an overview of this this journey that you just got back from. (laughs) Well, you did a great job introing. I, the last 10 years, I've been busting my butt at work. It was always like kind of a goal of mine to like work my way up. I'm an ambitious person, um, highly motivated, um, self-motivated. Um, so I started with a company here in Charlotte 10 years ago and worked my way up you know, pretty well from an analyst all the way to like kind of a senior manager um, leading a you know large group of people, a lot of big initiatives, high exposure to like the CFO and other executives in the company, that sort of thing. I think it was over the last like year and a half or so, I guess two two years now, um, that I realized I kind of wanted to change. I wanted something a little different, um, but I also knew that, you know, a couple of times I would explore like kind of looking at what other roles were out there and things like that. And it just felt so overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, like just the, inf- you know, the information online, everything is um, unbelievable today, but how you filter that is, I mean, that's half the challenge. So I remember approaching my wife um, after we had taken um, some vacation and actually was skiing out West. And, you know, I always used vacation to kind of just like just reset, do something usually outdoors that just, you know, made me feel better, that sort of thing. And I'd come back a little more clear headed and make smart decisions early on, that sort of thing. Um, After that trip, I kind of came back and I just said to my wife, I was like, I, I'm thinking about a change. I really want to change. Um, I'm dead certain that if I tried to do a change and try to continue to be successful at what I'm doing at work right now, I'm either going to, well, I'm more than likely going to either bomb the change or bomb what I'm doing at work and leave a bad taste in work's mouth. I, you know, I live by the principle, like you can't have two number one priorities. Like you, mm. you, know, you end up giving 50% to each thing and then yeah. they both don't turn out that great. You know, her feedback was awesome at the time and I hadn't even thought about it. She's like, well, you've got a ton of mentors and you've got a ton of peers and things that, you know, and folks that you went to college with and whatnot that have gone through lots of different experiences. Why don't you reach out to them and get their perspective on it. So spent time kind of exploring that, talking to a lot of folks and the feedback was like overwhelming. Like 
wow, amazing. Like, this is amazing, Will. Like, and, and several people even kind of commented, I, you know, I don't have kids. Uh, my wife and I are married now for almost six years. And um, I've been, you know, I've always like my, I feel like my house is a modest house. I don't have a flashy car. I've, you know, not overspent in a lot of things. So I, like I, several people actually told me, they were like, Will, you've actually been setting yourself up for something like this. You just didn't realize it. Yeah. And that's like, it was like kind of mind blowing. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I am so flexible right now. I've never even remotely thought of that. And again, none of this had to do with cycling across country. This yeah. all had to do with, is it is it okay to step away from something, especially something that I've been really successful at, reset, and then look for something new because I knew I wanted to change. Um, and again, that feedback was overwhelming, decided to do it. And um, I'm the type of person that once I kind of make a decision, I'll stir on it usually a week or two before I like just kind of like set off on that path. Sure. Yeah. And while, and while stirring on it, that's when I was like, man, I could like, I've always been a cyclist. Um, I've enjoyed longer rides. I like riding my bike somewhere and going camping for the night and riding home, that kind of thing. I've done some short trips and I have a few friends that I do things with over the years. And that's when I just thought to myself, I was like, holy cow, like I could go and do this trip that I've always kind of had in the back of my mind and wanted to do. And I'd finally be able to, um, you know, kind of experience this. I'm healthy. I'm at a place, you know, I'd kind of always thought, well, maybe this will be something I do when I retire, but who knows, you know, if you even get there, who knows how healthy you can be, all that kind of stuff. So, so that I came in one night, it was like Tuesday night after work, it's like seven 30, just got, just got home and walked in and like put my keys on the counter and my wife was like hey how'd work go and i go i'm quitting i'm gonna ride my bike across country when i get back i'm gonna look for a job and we'll go from there and she just hugged me and was like i'm so proud of you and like it was just such a cool thing and then that was i guess february and then from there it was just trying to figure out okay how do i make this work because taking um you know two three months off and like kind of getting ready for this and going from a couch, a chair potato sitting on a desk, being in meetings all day, like not being super active, that sort of thing to cycling like 80 miles a day for 70 days in a row sort of thing that um, that's my brain immediately shifted okay, to like, okay, how am I going to start doing this? I need to stop and dig into a little bit because, because I mean, and I want to get into like the adventure itself, but you went straight into some of the heart of like what this podcast is all about. It's about, you know, listening to that voice inside that calls us to adventure and then having the courage to, to, to actually take action. And I, there's a couple of things that I just heard in, in what, what this was like, just really to summarize, like, I mean, I love that you said, like, you've been wanting this change, but you didn't feel that you could give a hundred percent to two different things. Like, you know, you're going to leave. So how can you give a hundred percent, like looking for something else? Like, that's just, there's so much integrity in that. And so the three things like that I just wrote down here is kind of taking notes as I was listening to you, like what you just did, it reeks of integrity. There's so much wisdom in it. And then there's a huge amount of courage just that leap of faith. And it's super, super inspiring. And like, I want to, you know, as we kind of go through this whole adventure, I mean, maybe we'll come back to this and round this out, but like at the end of the day, like that's what this podcast is about is like listening to that voice. And then just like having that courage to be able to step across, like what, what was that like for you? Well, it, it was helpful that that was a thing I was struggling with a lot at work so that 
that mindset and that that using that integrity to think through this decision was something mm -hmm. that I took with me to work every day. Um, and I was very blessed to have like coaches and mentors around me at work that help help me realize that over my 10 year career. And I think that like to me that if you don't take that, you know, if you if you have your work self and your home self and you don't kind of take that thinking at both places, you're letting yourself down. It's so so that was a big component for me. It was just like whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm going to put everything I can into it and doing something at a percentage less than 100 percent. It's just setting yourself up for failure. Something that we were struggling with at work was like getting work done before moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to apply that to my life, too. I was just like, all right, let's let's get done here and then let's go do this thing. And um, that actually kind of was a big um, component of my of my trip as well is like during that trip, I kept thinking, like, do I need to start thinking about my next job? Do I need to start thinking about all these other things? And like, I think it was the first day I was just like, no, like focus on this trip, focus on what I'm out here doing, focus on why I'm here, focus on the feelings that come and how I react to them and all that other stuff. Don't, don't worry about that future stuff. So it was, it was actually like totally fantastic to be singularly focused for a period of time. It was something that had eluded me my entire like professional life. I'd always yeah. been, you know, multi-focused where you're just, you know, you can't, you can't filter at all and you end up making some bad decisions or you end up kind of overwhelmed. And um, so it, it was really refreshing to just basically say, I'm going to focus on one thing. <laughs> it, I mean, it can, I wonder if you can talk about it. Was that new for you? Like this, I mean, it's just very aligned. It just seems like, again, it comes back to that word integrity, but just like, yeah. is this a new thing for you or have you always carried this? My, my suspicion is it's always been who you are. And yeah. Who you've always been, but it's maybe more just like coming to the forefront of awareness at this point. Yeah. I think in the past, I, you, you mentioned something up front, like I gifted myself with this. I never even thought about it. I think this will like, you know, kind of behind the scenes, that was something where it was just like, okay, I've, um, yeah, I carry this integrity with me. I, you know, I think this way, that's kind of the way I was born and raised and the people around me and all that good stuff. And I, I think that it was important for me to just kind of say, okay, let's like, let's take some of this time and energy and apply it to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause like you said that I, I use the word gift, but you actually, and maybe you didn't use the word gift, but the first time you and I spoke, when you were telling me about this trip, you were talking to me about how you've worked your whole life, like really, really hard for other people. And this was something you needed to do for you. And what I, what I heard was I need to give myself a gift. So you might not have used the word, but you definitely were thinking that was, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's cool to think of that too. Cause it was by far the coolest gift I've ever given myself. So, yeah. So, so can, can you speak to the courage part? I mean, you know, there's, there's this whole alignment and it's like, yes, I need to do this. But then like the, that crossing of the threshold, it takes courage, like to, to walk in and say like, you know, I'm done here and not know where you're going next. That's, that's gotta be scary. Yeah, that it, it totally was it. You know, I have such a good support system around me between my wife and my family. And again, like I just know my own ability. And so I kind of knew in the back of my head, like even with taking this time off and stepping into this unknown, the worst that, and this is good feedback I got from several folks who are like, what's the worst that can happen? It's like the worst that could have happened is like, I'm three weeks into this trip. I'm hating it. I'm missing like work or something like that. And I call up some old 
folks and I'm like, hey, can I, like I, my job's probably not available, but could I come back and work somewhere? And I had built such a yeah. strong network and good relationship that like the worst case scenario felt like, like that's not bad. Like yeah. taking this risk isn't like as bad as I, as you might immediately react to. And to me, that's what gave me the strength to kind of like push through it. And then on top of it, like, like as soon as like this, like you plant a seed, <laughs> an idea seed gets planted, especially something as cool as like spending 70 days outdoors on a bicycle where you're just like seeing things that you've never seen before. It was just like, okay, this, this, this seed's going to grow really fast. So yeah. once that, once that got planted, I was, I was kind of pot committed. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the U.S. or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Okay, so I want to talk about the trip itself. That's what's really cool about this is that you know, this experience was not triggered by a desire to go do this trip. Although I'm sure it's something that was always in the back of your mind. It was actually a byproduct. I think for a lot of people, it's like, I'm going to go do this thing. But for you, it was like, no, there's a bigger transition that needs to happen. And then this thing just sort of fell in that space. That's just so cool. So can you tell us about the, the, the trip itself? Like what, what was kind of the plan and just sort of a broad overview of, of what you spent two and a half months doing? Yeah. So, um, like the intent, the original intent was cycle across country, um, you know, get on the bike and ride for a couple months, enjoy myself, see a bunch of new stuff. Um, immediately when I came up with this idea, I, I wanted to do it solo. I use cycling as a meditative thing. I, you know, I don't, I don't do group rides around town. I always go out and ride by myself. It's just something that allows me to kind of think and, um, get away. Um, and then immediately got just so much feedback from loved ones and people I really admire and people that I trust and, you know, folks in my circle, whatever you want to call it, that was like, hey, rethink doing this solo. So so the trip went from me going solo kind of east to west to me spending a lot of time researching and working with the Adventure Cycling Association out of Missoula, Montana, to identify other another person or persons that were interested in doing this trip or had already kind of started planning it or were thinking about it um and they had uh, i'm a member there and they have a companions kind of wanted help help wanted <laughs> post board cool. and yeah. so i spent some time kind of going through it reached out to a few folks and um, met someone that was going uh west to east so did a little more research on that the timing was a little bit later than I originally intended to, but it ended up working out really well because um, I had a few things I needed to deal with here in Charlotte. So yeah, the um, the trip itself was leaving August 1st from Seattle, taking um, ferries and a bus over to the Olympic National um, Park on the um, you know far northwest side of um, of Washington, starting at the ocean there, just outside of Forks, Washington. And then working our way across through both 
North or through North America. So we're in both Canada and the US and ending in uh, the New England area with a few things kind of mixed in where, you know, wanted to camp on some of the Great Lakes, wanted to see some areas that had never seen before, you know, wanted to um, kind of duck into Canada to see some different parks and that sort of thing. So it was kind of an amalgamation of uh, a few different routes and things that, um, and both ideas that once I met the gentleman who was um, looking for someone, we sort of talked through and spent some time and then adjusted our route based on some of the things I wanted to do and some of the things he wanted to do and kind of compromised to come up with a plan that was, you know, essentially Seattle to, you know, the Connecticut, Boston area. So cool. And um, I think it was really cool. Like, you know, obviously I think you flew to Seattle, right? Mm. It's not on the water. So you had to go West to get <laughs> all the way to the starting line. Cause there's this, like you, you, I think you posted photos on Instagram where your bike tire is literally touching the water Yeah, on the West coast. And then again, on the East coast, so it was like literally ocean to ocean. That was, that was pretty cool that you did it that way. Yeah. I got a rude awakening too. Cause that, um, got out, it was cold. It was really cold that day. Of course, you know, August 1st in Charlotte, it's hot as hell. And, um, you know, in Washington, it was very cold. So I'm like kind of dressed up and like, I'm trying to get the bike close enough to get a picture with it in the water and a wave comes through and I'm like jumping out of the way, but trying not to get the bike to fall on the sand and get my feet wet and all this stuff. So it's like the first day started out with like, Oh God, what am I, what have I got myself into here? Uh, <laughs> it, it certainly got better from there. So. Yeah, it's awesome. So like some of the logistics, I go back to the, um, the advice that you got, Hey, like, why don't you rethink doing this solo? Just curious. What were some of the, what were some of the compelling reasons to, to do this with a companion? Um, I think it, it, the idea of having spent a lot of time train about two months kind of training for it and, nearly being hit by like three or four different um, cars around town and that, and like literally witnessing people like hitting curbs and screeching to try and get around like crazy things. I think it was really like that, that it was like, okay, like I have to realize that these are, these can be weapons of destruction around me. Yeah. And if I were to get hit, which I think spending this number of hours on a, on a bike, your odds of getting hit are probably higher yeah. or something happening. Um, that just having having someone who is close by on the route, especially out west in Montana and in Washington, where you're just in the middle of nowhere for days on end, I think that was comforting to me. So that helped me with like getting over like the scared and the challenge part of kind of doing this. So during training, that's when I made that decision, and I, I you know vividly remember calling my mom and telling her, and you could hear her like shouting and cheering in the background <laughs> again. So so there was a component too of just you know sometimes sometimes taking others advice is a good thing to do. Yeah. And it's, it's a, ultimately it's a safety thing was really yeah. what it came down to. Yeah. So, but what was that like? I mean, you know, there's the safety component, but what was it like for you to, you know, essentially connect with somebody that you didn't know before and then embark on this two and a half month experience with, with that person? What was that like? Yeah, that was, um, honestly, that was a big challenge. Um, you know, immediately I, um, we, we connected beforehand. We met beforehand just to make sure like, we weren't going to be at each other's throats on day yeah. one kind of thing. And we, yeah. we hiked um, Mount Mitchell together. Cool. Um, yeah. And so spent like four hours kind of just chatting in the, in the forest as we're hiking, hiking up the mountain and, you know, good conversation. And what I was really looking for was, was this a person I could trust? Was this a person I felt um, when something did happen, that person would like make smart decisions and know what to do and um, can 
fit all those bills. And so I felt very comfortable. And that's when I was like, okay, he's someone that I can, that I can travel with and spend time with, even though we had very, very different interests. And a lot of times, you know, didn't have a lot in common other than our love for cycling. So. Yeah. So what was the, like the kind of the nature of uh, your experience together? Are you guys riding side by side? Or are you guys kind of just like starting in the morning and I'll meet you at camp or like, how did that kind of dynamic work for you guys? Yeah, we, um, we stayed together pretty good. I think um, usually Ken liked to ride ahead. Um, so I was usually no more than like a quarter mile behind at most times, just trying to make sure we're keeping in like range of sight range of each other, that sort of thing. But again, for, for me, it was, you know, and I told him very early, I'm like, Hey, I'm a very independent person. Cycling for me is very much a quiet time. (laughs) So I, I, you know, I was very upfront with him, like, Hey, here's some kind of ground rules for me that I would really appreciate following. And, you know, he did the same. And I think we did a pretty good job of kind of sticking to those, but very much a, um, you know, an agreement of like, Hey, let's be smart and let's be safe together. But there were times where it was like, Hey, you know, I've, I got to go deal with this thing over here. I'll meet you up ahead or, or vice versa. Yeah. And so I'm for like advice for listeners real quick, like anybody that's thinking about doing something like this and potentially connecting with somebody that they've never met before to do something like this. Do you have any kind of just sort of top recommendations that you would encourage somebody to do? Yeah. I don't be, don't be afraid by it. Um, know going in that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be times where you may be at odds or there you may not think and um, you may not make the same decision, um, but set ground rules up front. Um, there was one example where, you know, we there was a forest fire in Washington that literally closed the road we were supposed to ride. And the next road over was 200 miles south <laughs> to get wow. through the mountains. And, you know, um, I disagreed with the approach that the person I was riding with wanted to take. Um, but I kind of worked through it with them and ended up kind of compromising a little and taking a path where um, ended up calling the forest service and getting feedback directly from the folks up there fighting the fire around what it was. And I think once, once we had that information, and again, we made that pact up front that like, Hey, when information changes, we're going to use this information to help make this the best journey we can possible. And so we got new information and that information allowed us to kind of immediately pivot and figure out a new route and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, okay. And, and along this route, 4,200 miles, two and a half months, what, what, what are the evenings like? Are you camping? Are you staying in hotels? What's that look like? Yeah, I think I did the math. Um, it was 75 days total. I had nine off days and the off days were like um, seeing family and friends a couple of days were just literally like, hey, we've, we, you know, I've just biked 500 miles without a rest. Let's let's take a rest day, that sort of thing. So of the, so that puts me down at what, 66 days or something like that. Of those 66 days, 40 were camping, 10 were at family and friends, and the rest were hotel, motels, cabins, that sort of thing. Several places you have to work with what you have. Yeah. Um, but obviously the intent was to camp as much as possible. And your cycling partner, what what was he doing when you were hanging out with family and friends, or were you guys together? Or yeah, it it, it kind of depended. We were together sometimes. Um, one time, I actually ended up flying out, <laughs> so I managed it where I got to a city with an airport in time that I was able to fly and go to my wife's uh, brother's uh, 50th birthday party. So that was really cool. cool. So yeah, so it was, it's just kind of a mixture of things. And one stop, I got a chance to stop and see a friend of, you know, 25 plus years and we got to hang out with him. And so, you know, we kind of did our separate thing on most of the, most of the days that we were off. 
you know, there's, there's such a mindset thing there though. Like people wouldn't think like, oh, you know, I'm doing this cross country trip. Like I can take a break halfway through and fly somewhere and go do this thing and then come back to where I started. Like, you know, even though you're not like staying at home or whatever, like there's ways to kind of, it's just a kind of a cool little. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of surreal too. Cause my flight was from Buffalo um, to Florida, but the layover was in Charlotte. So, oh my gosh. That's so wild. I'm literally, I'm like, I'm so close to home yet so far away. So it was really <laughs> funny. It was kind of surreal. And I kind of, I kind of laughed when I saw my wife and her family. I was like, man, this trip just can't get any funnier. I'm like in Florida now. <laughs> Maybe my flight will get delayed and I can sleep at home tonight or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But, but you're absolutely right. Like you have to like a trip like this, you have to bake in some time for just not being on the bike. Otherwise it, the grind can be challenging. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting way to think about it. Um, one thing I was really intrigued by when we spoke was just some of the technology. I, I mean, I want to talk about like process planning, like for the trip, but like a lot of the tech that you had with you, I mean, in the, in the world that we live in today, it's so different than somebody had done this years ago. Like yeah. you were very, very connected on this trip. Can you, can you talk a little bit about some of the, some of the equipment that you had with you to make the experience a little bit more connected? Sure. Yeah. I had like, we were talking about, I had like backups of everything. Um, so I had a, each of the day, the route you can create on your phone, on a computer, wherever it is, and you can create, you can extract a file of it and download that to your cycling computer. So I had a nice cycling computer that had maps that I had downloaded all the different maps of the um, states and countries I was going to be in. Um, I had the various routes, either alternate routes you know, different ideas that we had come up with kind of all downloaded to it. And if I needed to, that, that device had Wi-Fi, so I could tether it to my phone and update it and that sort of thing. So I had, had my cycling computer. Then I had my phone, which through Google maps and whatnot, you can use a ton of different things. And I had various um, components with it. I had this little guy, which uh, anyone doing a trip like this, I highly recommend. It's a, it's a Garmin inReach. Um, I think for like 30 bucks a month, yeah. you can literally send a text message to anyone on planet earth from anywhere. Um, so there were so many times like rolling into camp. I just wanted to let my wife know I'm safe. So I just shoot a note just saying no reception safely at camp. That's and you know, she, you know, she thanked me a lot for that afterwards. And um, it also sent tracking notes. So like all my family and friends who were interested in following along could see like kind of precisely where you were. Um, so that was a fantastic device. Um, and then I have um, the bicycle itself was obviously something really important. And I've, again, I've been doing some like longish rides, like two, three days kind of thing. Um, so I had um, a nice touring bike with a long, wide, heavy steel frame. Um, I had a seat that I had used for thousands of miles over years already. You know, handlebar up the way I wanted to. I had racks, I had bags. And then I had a dynamo hub in the front, which is essentially as your wheel is spinning, it creates electricity. So it was used to charge both lights and run lights during uh, while I'm riding. And it was also, I had a USB outlet on it where I could plug in my phone and keep my phone charged through the whole trip. And then, you know, I also had a you know little battery pack that I would take to use to charge other things in the evening, that sort of stuff. So yeah, I was able to stay incredibly connected. And between that dynamo hub and pedal power, <laughs> 
yeah, <laughs> able to keep things charged and, and used. It's really pretty amazing. Like for people that listening that maybe aren't like in the cycling world, just like the realization that you've got all of that technology. I think like one of the questions I asked you when we first spoke was um, like, what would happen if you had lost your phone? And you're kind of like, well, no big deal. Cause I got like three or four other backup devices. So, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The watch too. Yeah. The yeah. Watch. <laughs> the watch too. So yeah, I mean, lots of different ways to get news, lots of different ways to get updates and, and keep your map. It's like, I think I might've asked you if you had any paper, if you felt like you needed to carry paper maps with you. And I think you said you didn't need to because you had so many different devices. Correct. Correct. And one of the things through the adventure cycling, um, uh, we had purchased some of their routes, so their GPX, GPX routes. Um, they had tagged things like uh, either food stops or um, uh, mailboxes or, or U uh, postal service uh, buildings. So there were several times where, you know, kind of looking ahead on the route, you could even see like, hey, if something were to break, fail, whatnot, I could get something mailed to me knowing that I'm going to be passing this postal postal station in the middle of nowhere montana in three days or i think i will be passing it in three days so there was actually a couple times where i mailed things home um as i was just kind of like like kind of gauging what i yeah. needed on the trip um early on especially with where weight was a premium yeah i mean there's a crossover to like something like this that you did and like doing the appalachian trail i mean there's yeah. a lot of similarities in the planning process right so yeah um just in terms of the the kind of the route, love to hear like some highlights. And one of the things that you and I talked about was like, I remember like watching you on Instagram and like you started and then I swear it felt like it was like a month in and you were still in Montana. And I was like, man, this is, it's a, it's, it's, it's the wild west out there. The wide yeah. wild west. Yeah. Well, there was the, so first off, Washington felt for, I mean, Washington on paper didn't look like, I knew Montana was going to be the the big one. Yeah. The Washington didn't look too bad, but then the forest fire happened. And because of the way we started, we were, we kind of started and routed ourselves a little north up into Anacortes. And then we're supposed to go across over the um, North Cascade National Park. And that's where the fire happened. So I had to pivot, so I had to go down south through the Cascades. So you did a lot of like this through Washington, just kind of like up and down north and mm -hmm. south. And then as we got to Montana, that's when like really high temps and smoke kind of set in from all the forest fires going on. And so some of the days in Montana where you were thinking, hey, maybe I'd be able to do like a 60 to 70 mile day turned out to be like 30 or 40 because of just the, what we we're dealing with. It, it, it just, again, like through the mountain areas, you just had to do so much north south traversing that it just felt like we were in in those two states forever. Um, and I know once, once kind of like started looking at the route, once you got to Eastern Montana, it started actually turning East. And I just remember that lifting my spirit so much. I was kind of, kind of getting to the point where I was like, God, how much North South traversing do we need to do here? And then once started East, I just remember like, like my mood lightened, I got like excited and I started actually before that, I wasn't looking at the map because it just, <laughs> I was just stuck in the, the Northwest of the U S and. Once we started moving east, then I, I started looking at the map regularly. and was like, wow, look at the progress being made. This is awesome. But that was literally like a month in. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you entered Canada through either Michigan or Minnesota. Yeah. So entered Canada two times, um, once into Alberta to check out Waterton National Park, which is like oh, the okay, northern yeah. part of Glacier. Yeah, Glacier, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the second time uh, from Michigan dropped into Ontario and followed the northern um uh, border of Lake Erie 
through Ontario up into Buffalo. So it was in Canada for four total days. Very cool. So, I mean, just in terms of like the 4,200 miles across country, couple of just um, natural highlights that, that stand out in your mind. What were some of your favorites? Natural highlights, obviously the Cascades are just amazing. Like the temperature, the just everywhere you turn is just beautiful waterfalls and rivers. And so Washington was just unbelievable. Um, Glacier National Park, if if any of your listeners haven't been there, oh my gosh, it's figure amazing. out a way to it's get amazing. there and go. Don't it's so it. amazing. For cyclists, going to the Sun Road, if you've never done that, um, highly recommend going out and riding it. It's not for the faint of heart. That's probably the most terrified and excited I've ever been on a bicycle. And then I really enjoyed Wisconsin. In fact, I want to go back to Wisconsin and spend some more time cycling around. It's just beautiful countryside, not too crazy roads, and just lots to do, lots to eat, lots to lots of campsites. So it was like a lot of them. It felt like you were in a place where you could. Um, there are a lot of amenities, but you're also still kind of in the middle of nowhere. So those were, those were the natural things that stood out. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm just, I still have this image of going to the sun road. We did that. We drove it uh, a couple of years ago and I'm like, I, I'm not even sure I could envision cycling that that's a big climb. It's very windy. It's a tight road. Yeah. That must have been pretty intense. Yeah. The last, uh, I, I think of climbs in the, in terms of the elevation I have to complete on it as opposed to the mileage. So the last 800 feet of elevation, which is probably over a mile, mile and a half or so, the wind kicked up and it was like 30, 40 mile out gust. And when you've got a packed bike with bags on it and like I'm bundled up cause it's freezing cold. When that wind hits you, it lit like if it's from behind, it's pushing you up the mountain. If it's in front, you feel like you got to pedal as hard as you can to go four miles an hour, but it was from the side. So it was actually like moving me from mm. like closer to the edge. And of course, I'm like starting to freak out that last 800 miles. So I start riding almost in the middle of the road and I've got cars just honking at me yeah. and yelling at me and whatnot. But of course, everybody's going slow. And I think at the end of the day, no, you know, nothing, nothing bad happened, but it was, it's such a drop off and your mind is just seeing this massive drop off that you're like, I've got to get as far away from that with this wind <laughs> gusting as I can. Yeah. So the last 800 feet um, vertical was like one of the scariest things I've ever done. And I just took it slow and easy. It was smart. Stopped a couple times to kind of like change the outfit to just make sure I was in the right setup for it. And then as I started seeing like the Logan Pass sign and whatnot, I mean, you're, yeah. again, your spirits are just like, I got the shivers right now just thinking about it because it's like, just the coolest thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, yeah. I did it by car. I can't even imagine. So um, any city experiences on this trip? Yeah. Um, in fact, as we were talking about it, that was probably my favorite thing on all the trips was just the different cities I went to. I had never been to Seattle first. Like I spent that first day I flew out there. I got out there early and I just hiked around Seattle for like 12 miles, just checking it out and seeing a lot of cool stuff. Um, Minneapolis is an amazing town. So much bicycle infrastructure. Uh, Marquette, Michigan was really cool up in the UP. Um, would love to spend more time there. Um, I thought Buffalo, New York was really cool. Um, just getting out around there and then going up to see Niagara Falls. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, ended in New Haven, Connecticut or just outside New Haven. Yeah. That was a cool town. I never, so it was, it was really cool for me because every town we went to oh, Fargo, North Dakota was amazing. Every town we, uh, you know, I had gone through during the trip was someplace I had never been before. So seeing a new place for the first time is just one of the coolest feelings yeah. and seeing it on bike is just awesome because you see so much stuff 
that you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. I mean, you really get to kind of experience it as opposed to just like whizzing by at, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour on an interstate. Cause the, the other thing too, when we just, you know, this is, you're not riding on interstates, obviously you're like on back roads, I'm assuming. So correct. Um, correct. Yeah. I had, had to get on the interstate once. That was a new experience for me wow. so for, for 10 miles between Weibo, Montana and uh, the border of North Dakota. Wow. There was really, really no other way, but huge wide shoulders, obviously terrified going down the on-ramp, but huge wide shoulders. It was a Sunday morning. It was really quiet. Um, the route had been approved by the ACA saying wow. like, Hey, Hey, we, we recommend it's okay to ride here. And of course I just kept thinking like, well, what excuse I'm going to use if a police officer comes over is like, Hey man, you're riding on, <laughs> you're riding on the shoulder of an interstate. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that was pretty cool experience. Well, one of the things that, um, again, we talked about the first time, um, you said that like one of your major learnings was just this, you know, how to like deal with sort of the, the unexpected and how to pivot and some of the things you had some pretty interesting things that happened on this trip. I'd love to talk about a couple of those stories. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the one that comes to mind is the one that's so vivid still to this day is losing one of my bags. So I had two bags in the front, two bags in the rear. Bike is incredibly heavy. It probably weighed like 60, 70 pounds. One of the rear bags fell off. And that's not a place that you're typically like looking back because you have to look back and down to it. Usually you're, when you're looking back, you're looking for car traffic and noise yeah. and that sort of thing. So it fell off at some point in time uh, in the morning and was about 30, 32 miles into the ride when I pulled over to stop and get off and just like, oh my God, where's my bag? And it again, the immediate reaction is kind of to freak out and just like, I'm flustered. I'm using some bad words and just kind of like pounding things and take a second, step back, drink some water. And then I was like, well, I think I remember passing um, some railroad tracks that were really bumpy. So anywhere on the last 30 miles, if this bag had fallen off, it would have been those railroad tracks. So kind of look at my phone and go, I, that's probably like seven to 10 miles back. I'm going to backtrack. So I talked to the, the guy I was riding with and just said, hey, I'm going to backtrack. Um, you don't have to. That's going to add a lot of mileage to today. Um, why don't I meet you up to up ahead? And, you know, the next, I think it was like a 70-something mile day we had planned to kind of finish near uh, Whitefish, Montana, which is a big town. So I also knew, like, there's infrastructure and that sort of thing that if I can't find my bag, you know, I could probably order stuff in the mail and get it overnighted or, or whatnot. Um, and the bag contained basically most of my camping supplies. Yeah. Um, so it was stuff that was very, very important for it. me. Yep. Yep. So backtracked, um, got to the railroad and no bag. And that was really disheartening at that point in time. But I was like, all right, well, I gave it a shot. One of the things I had said to myself at the beginning of the trip is like, make some smart decisions. Uh, it's okay to pivot from them, but don't pivot too far. Right. And that's when I kind of said, okay, I'm not going to ride back the whole 30 miles for this bag. Like that's a bit much near the, near the railroad tracks was a little, a little store, little, uh, um, diner. So I walked in and just, you know, uh, I think everyone looked at me all funny and whatnot, cause there's this dejected, <laughs> completely sweat filled cyclist coming in. And of course they're like, Hey, can I, how can I help you? And I was like, Hey, just by any chance, has anyone dropped off a bag? Has anyone, you know, seen, I lost a bag and, you know, they were super nice, like, no, sorry, but, you know, if we if we hear anything, you could leave your number. So I did that, and as I was walking out, a gentleman who was sitting by the window just looked up and goes, hey, man, I'll help you find your bag, older guy. Uh, and I was like, really? He's like, yeah, let me uh, let me finish my breakfast, and I'll, you know, we'll take my truck and go find your bag. I was like, all right, I'm going to turn <laughs> wow. that down. 
so so i went outside kind of sat on the porch i remember i had signals so i called my wife and i was like man i screwed up somehow i had like lost my bag and whatnot and you know she was real positive and like hey don't worry about it like told her about like the opportunity to potentially go find it she's like all right we'll go find your bag see what's going on so ron came out um and he, he immediately started chatting with me he was a cyclist he was a mountain biker and i think that like when you and i talked that was one yeah. of the things that like kind of comfort me a little bit knowing okay here's a right. fellow cyclist so we go to his truck and he has and i remember this was like he had some unique things in his truck on the outside at least you know he had like a death to fauci sticker on it <laughs> and uh a bunch of a bunch of stuff just random stuff in the truck bed but he had like enough room that I could like stuff my bike in it but he had the um uh i guess the pad that goes over the tailgate that mountain bikers use to like put their bikes over it to keep the bike okay. from scratch and everything and got so it. like that immediately was like okay this guy knows what he's doing got he's it. got like this thing that i've seen that, that i know mountain bikers use he says he's a biker all that stuff so i'm gonna trust this guy yeah <laughs> so i put my bike in i put my bags in i go to open the front door and sitting on the center console is you know i'm not a hunter or anything like that is the world's biggest machine gun i have ever seen like the, the kind they use in the movies yeah for taking down the terrorists and all that and he's got clips and bullets and just gun stuff everywhere in this car and all i could think to myself is like well ron seems really nice i am in the middle of nowhere montana we are you know there are going to be things like this let's see what we got i was like all right ron let's do this so i got in and started chatting with him and come to find out you know his wife had just died of cancer a few months back mm -hmm. it was his birthday he was on his way to see his kids after he had after he had breakfast but he was interested in helping me out and all that good stuff so we rode the entire he drove the entire route back which was awesome didn't see the bag um so we got to where the end of the route was and i was like i really appreciate everything but i don't see the bag it's it's okay like um you know would you mind dropping me back off i'm just gonna ride back without you know without that bag and he you know he looked at me he's like i got one other idea will we're not giving up on this picks up his phone you know not like a not a speed dial or anything like that he literally pushes the button because he knows the number to the police dispatch calls the police dispatch they pick up and they're like hey ron like they know his number and you know it's small world in the middle <laughs> yeah. of nowhere montana yeah and uh you know ron's like hey i'm helping the cyclist who's going cross country lost his bag by chance anybody like drop anything off the police station or whatnot and the dispatcher goes is that guy sitting beside you and ron's like yep he sure is so give me the phone put me on and um i'm just like hey they're like hey man do you have uh sandals attached to your bag and i'm like i sure do and then that's like immediately i was like holy wow. crap like this is so they're like yeah I'm, i was surfing the web and found on facebook someone posted in the neighborhood that they'd found a bag and that they're going to put it here and here and ron i'm on speaker with him so ron hears all that he's like i know where that is so ron drives me to go get the bag reunites me with the bag i mean it's like you know this is like two hours now just hanging out with ron driving around middle of nowhere montana get reunited with the bag kind of give him a hug and you know, we talk a little bit and he ends up going to see his kids after that and i'm on my way and you know it, it turned out to be like almost like a 90 mile day and like 95 degree heat or whatnot but i was just so i was just riding on emotion so stoked to have the bag back and from that point on on the trip every time i got on i checked to make sure those bags were strapped down that's a 
quick Man, lesson learned there. I feel like there's so much <laughs> to that story though. Like it's it, that first of all, that's like probably one of the most memorable things that happened to you. Like, yes, it was a, a 90 mile thing that you went through, but like just this whole thing, like when we were first talking, I asked you the question, like what was going through your mind when you're like about to get into the car with a stranger? And, and I guess you thought about it a little bit because it sounds like there were some, um, some signals that kind of gave you some comfort. Um, and I think I thought it was funny when we were talking, like, I, I think you made mention to me that he did comment on the, on the gun and gave yeah. you some, he made some comment that made you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. He, he I looked at the gun about halfway through the drive. I mean, he, I'm, you know, we didn't approach the subject when I got in the car. I kind of yeah. want to be like, Ron, what, like, if I'd known him a little bit better, I'd be like, Ron, right. what's going on here, man? <laughs> uh, but halfway through, he noticed me looking at it and he's like, don't worry about the gun, Will. It's for your and my safety. And I was like, I love right, it. thanks, thanks, Ron. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Like one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is, is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like in the, in the process of the hero's journey that he describes, it's sort of this, um, mythical experience but when you have you have the courage to step across the threshold and go on these epic journeys um there there has this tendency of these so-called supernatural guides to just sort of show up along the way and i'm like i'm just thinking like this guy ron like was just this mythical guide that sort of showed up for you and you know you, you lost this you lost this bag but then he shows up to help you i'm just wondering like was there any like deeper learning that you had on this i mean from you know from maybe judgment and like getting in the car and seeing this gun and having fear but realizing like this guy is just a he's just a human he just lost his 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 wife and honestly he that he probably got more out of the whole experience than you did it's really easy to lose the perspective on a trip like this um, that people are still like really good, <laughs> especially yeah. when you get passed by cars and, you know, nine out of 10 cars are giving you room and slowing down. It's that one out of 10 that whizzes by you and doesn't move over or honks at you or rolls down their window or yells at you or pulls up and hits their engine and smogs you with their diesel dust and all that stuff that like, you, it's real easy to like forget like, man, these, you know, these drivers are assholes. Yeah. Um, and when someone who's driving a big pickup truck and in the middle of nowhere, Montana is willing to do something like this for you, you're just like, wow, there, there still are awesome people out there. I wonder if losing, if I'd lost my bag, like on the East coast, if I'd experienced the same kind of like compassion and um, willingness from a stranger that I would where I was in the middle of Montana. So that's, yeah. uh, hopefully I never have to experience that, but it, it just, you know, it, reinvigorates you that there are totally. good people out there and the human condition is still solid. So. Totally. Ron sounds amazing. I'd like to meet <laughs> him someday. He sounds awesome. So, uh, you know, man, I could talk to you for like another couple of hours on this whole thing. And, you know, as you kind of got towards the end, you got towards the, through the Great Lakes into Buffalo, you're kind of on the East Coast. Like, what was the, what were the final days for you? Like, were you excited to be done? Were you wishing that the trip was going to continue? Like, what, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, uh, Michigan broke my spirit a little bit, um, especially the Upper Peninsula. Just no bicycle infrastructure, no shoulders, logging trucks going 80 miles an hour. Nobody put, like I don't think they I don't think they saw cyclists on the road up there on a regular basis. Um, and so Michigan really was like, oh my gosh, like I'm out here doing this and I'm putting myself through this and I could get hit at any moment in time. I remember a logging truck going like you know, six inches by me at. 70 miles an hour or something and just being like oh like 
just having to get off the road and like take a deep breath to just like okay i can do this i can do this ontario lifted the spirits the people in canada were awesome the places we stayed in canada were awesome uh and then i got to new york and new york is where i split um from riding with uh with ken um so i got the last like six days kind of just to like soak it all in do it on my own that sort of thing and the second last second to last day so leaving albany new york and finishing in kind of central connecticut was just awesome and like just so much emotion and the ride was challenging but the weather was awesome and like i think i i think i did like 80 miles and like 5000 vert that day so it was like you know i i even think i remember posting on social media it was like both the strongest and the worst i've felt in a long time how whatever that means for being on a bicycle yeah there were a couple times where i got emotional you know just riding the bike and just start getting like teary-eyed thinking like holy crap what have i done here yeah um and and at the same time too it was also like still like all right i am so ready to go home i am so ready to like sleep in my own bed i'm so ready to spend some time with my wife and see my dog who i hadn't seen on the trip every dog i saw i was like can i talk to your dog i just want to pet him because i (laughs) I'm a big dog person. So um, so there was a component of me like just kind of driving to finish. There was a component of me just like so ecstatic to be out there doing it. And there was a component as well that was just like, this is a grind. Because when I set out on this, I really said to myself, I'm, I just want to spend two months on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as it became more real that I actually can do this and finish it, at the end, it was like, all right, let's finish this. So that yeah. grind of finishing it, even when you're riding in places that you're just like, ah, I don't there's nothing cool to see here or, or like you're just mile after mile of just in the woods with no one around you and that sort of thing where you're just like all right we just got to do this we just got to pump them out well it's so awesome and i love the way that you did it too because you didn't just cycle home you know charlotte's not all the way to the coast right you you chose to go to the to new england yep. and i believe your wife flew up to meet you uh pa- actually parents ended up coming up because nice. i had just okay. seen my wife wife a week before in okay. florida and my my folks wanted to like be a part of it. Yeah. So, so I picked a spot on a little rail trail and my dad, um, who does some cycling and he likes, you know, like yeah. 10, 15 miles, that sort of thing. I picked a spot about 16 miles from the beach where I wanted to finish. And my parents met me my dad hopped on the bike and the two of us rode the last, uh, last hour together. It was awesome. So cool. So you had two and a half months to kind of have this experience. And, you know, two and a month, two and a half months prior to you finishing, you quit your job with no plan. Yeah. So did you get any clarity during that two and a half months? I did. Like I was going through so many different ideas of what I wanted to do and where, how I wanted to spend my time in the future and where I wanted to focus my energy. And I got really good clarity on that. And I'm, I'm actually like on my other screen, here's my resume and I'm <laughs> sending out a bunch of stuff and uh, having a lot of conversations with folks right now and having that clarity and that like kind of certainty for, for my next decision and steps. And um, I had mentioned to you that my favorite part of the trip was just going to these new cities and exploring. And I loved like kind of the urban aspect of the ride. So one of the things I want to do, and my wife is very supportive of it is um, I'm interested now in moving to someplace where I can be in an urban environment and spend some time on the site, on the, on the bike and hopefully be somewhere where I can bike to work on a regular basis and um, spend time outdoors more often. And that sort of thing, kind of get away a little bit from like kind of the car congestion um, so that's something that I'm also kind of like looking forward to and going to be kind of focusing energy on as well. That's amazing. Well, I have to believe that any employer 
that has opportunities wants somebody that has the courage, the integrity, and the wisdom that you have to be able to go on a trip like this. It says so much. I certainly hope so. And I, I will say through good learning that if they don't, I don't think I want to be with them. So <laughs> it'll work out I well. <laughs> I love that. It makes total sense. Yeah. Um, will, can you say this trip changed you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I It has reminded me of things I need to work on to, to keep all the good things in my life being good. It has reminded me that work and that grind and that feeling that you have to like work to like achieve something and save money to achieve something and that sort of thing. It's like, why are we doing that to ourselves? Go out, enjoy things. Um, the training for the ride, like just so much, like I had so much fun doing it, like a little day trip with my dog to go hike in like Western North Carolina or ride my bike on some trail I'd always want to go on, but just have never mustered up the energy because I was like too tired or whatnot. So it just, it reinforced all these things that I had kind of known, but lost sight of through just the grind of work and the grind of, of um, kind of not taking some time for yourself. Yeah. I love it. Well, I want to ask you about advice that you might have for people listening to this episode. Um, I kind of want to frame it around the fear that people might have about things that could go wrong. And then this reminder that you just did this epic two and a half month journey and there's things that went wrong along the way and you pivoted, but there were people like Ron that there were there to help you. And ultimately, one of the most amazing things that happened on this trip for you was that you went 4,200 miles and did not have a single flat tire. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember passing a guy riding the other way who was carrying a trailer and he had done Milwaukee, or he was doing Milwaukee to the um, West Coast. And he had three flats the day before on like some gravel road that I was going to be on the next day. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my gosh, I haven't even thought about this flat situation. What I would give advice to folks thinking about it is, like, there will be, there will always be something. Can't focus on that. Have to focus on the good. You know, I think you got to start small, too. By no means was this the first time I've ridden a bike. And even, like, an overnight trip, you know, all that is, is all I did was just string together 70 overnight trips. Yeah. So like when you compartmentalize it a little bit, it's easier to digest. You feel less overwhelmed by it. Involve people in decision-making. That's another big thing. It's like, there were several times where I was like, man, I'm not really entirely sure what to do. Let me, let me phone a friend. Let me ask someone yeah. who I know and like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Do you think this is crazy? Like, give me some feedback or evidence of why I wouldn't do, you know? So there's ways to like kind of build your confidence yeah. um, to, to make a step like this. And then again, like, you know, if, if you think it's something you want to do, um, you plant that seed, it's hard to get rid of it. So go, go give it a shot. Like, yeah, give it a shot. I love it. Well, such an awesome, just such an awesome inspiration. Like, thank you for being the model, like to be willing to just say, you know what, I don't know what's next for me, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm trusting in myself. I'm going to make this change that I want to make. And then you go on this epic 4,200 mile journey, no flats. Um, <laughs> and you figure out what you need to figure out. And, you know, as we talk right now, you still don't know what the future holds, but you know that it's coming. And I'm just saying that, 
somebody that can do such epic things, Hollywood's going to reach out to you at some point. They're going to want to make a movie about your story. And I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. Full clarity. You sent me this question ahead of time. So I had a chance <laughs> to think about it. My first reaction was, so uh, there's a TV show I love right now on Hulu called the bear. Okay. Um, and it's about a guy who quits working at like the most prestigious restaurant in the world to go back home work in this like dump of a restaurant that serves like crappy sandwiches in Chicago and he wants to like elevate it and make it this thing. Nice. And the first actor that came to my mind, I love there's a Canadian chef called Maddie Matheson. Okay. Big, wild, like uh, outgoing guy. He's awesome. And I was like, I should do Maddie. And I remember my wife going, I don't think he can ride his bike across country. I was like, <laughs> ah, that's probably a good point. So uh, I'll take the, uh, the lead actor. I think his name is Jeremy Allen White, the guy who plays Carmi in the show. Okay. And uh, for those that haven't seen the show, I highly recommend it. It's phenomenal. And it's a lot about like the human spirit about like make taking a chance on yourself as well. So highly recommend the show. Awesome. The so Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, I think that's his name. Yeah. Awesome. What's your movie going to be called? Late Bloomer. Ooh. Late Bloomer. Nice. Yeah. I like yeah, it's that. It's taken me a long time to get to this mental state. So I got it, but you did it. Late Bloomer yeah. starring Jeremy Allen White. Okay. Finally, if, if people have questions for you, maybe want to connect with you, or maybe they've got an employment opportunity for this amazing human that I'm talking <laughs> to right now. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Career stuff. I'm on LinkedIn, um, social media. I'm on Instagram. Um, folks can also email me. I'll uh, put my email in there as well. Great. Um, but yeah, it, those three methods, I'm looking at them all the time and uh, it's easy to get in touch with me on any of them. Definitely. And we will have all that in the show notes so people can find that there as well. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. And for those listening, hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Will's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening, Will. Thanks so much for being here today. 